Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. It is Friday, so it's time for the Friday Farm Report. This is not in my notes, but inspired by Jim, who texted in from Connecticut this morning, um, noting that uh, I had shared yesterday that, you know, I'd been out of town and my husband Jim has been in Wisconsin and our uh, the kids who still live in our house um, have been uh, in New York this past week. And so this raised concern for Jim in Connecticut um, about, you know, our animals. So he says, well, right now, do you have any cows that you're raising this year? And if so, you know, can you actually leave, leave them when you go away? Um, so, uh, you know, he's then speculating on what they need and how long you could do that. So the the greater concern right now, Jim, and thank you for asking, concern for you know, the farm animals. Right now, we don't have any cows. But if we did, they'd be fine. Um, We have secure fencing. um, We have lush grass that actually, because we have no cows, required me to bush hog last week. But um, we have uh, a deep water hole that right now has plenty of water in it. So the cows would be fine. Um, They also would be checked in on every day by whoever it is that I would have arranged to come and check on the chickens and the dogs. Because chickens and dogs actually do need um, attention, regular attention. So when we're away, uh, the dogs stay in the orchard, which is secure and fenced, and they have plenty of food and water and a little house that used to be a playhouse for children like you you've seen them it's like a it's like a brown cabin with a green roof and yellow shutters you've seen them like it's a little plastic playhouse that is now the doghouse in our um in our orchard and it's all padded with straw and you know although they don't like it as nearly as well as you know sleeping under the bed in my room um they seem to do just fine out there and they have a job to do which is you know to manage the squirrels which like to raid the fruit trees this time of year um, but the chickens, of which we now have many, they do require, um, you know, tending to regularly. Chickens drink a lot of water, especially when it's hot. And you got to keep their water supply very clean and robust. Um, so, you know, you can have chicken feeders and there are chicken waterers that will last, you know, for a few days. But we like our chickens to have some, you know, daily human interaction just to be sure that everybody's good. Well, and, you know, collect eggs. Collecting eggs. There you go. All right. That, uh, let's see. Anything else on the Friday Farm Report? Anything that I thought I was going to share today that I, oh, somebody asked yesterday about, um, the mouse situation. It does seem as if we have significantly reduced, if not fully eradicated, the mouse problem. There you go. The traps are currently empty and the bait is still there. So there you have it. I think it's possible that we have eradicated or at least significantly reduced 
the uh, the mouse population. So thanks for asking. That is the Friday Farm Report. I did note on my walk to the studio from the house um, this morning that my um, my yard is mostly clover this year. And I decided, you know what? I'm happy about that. It's just fine with me. I uh, I walk through a yard of clover. Not too much grass this year. There you go. Now you are up to speed. Paul AC from Focus on the Family's Plugged In is going to join us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Paul Acey is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Good morning, sir. Good morning. It sounds like you live quite the life. Man, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, some person asked, well, don't your cows have to be milked every day? Okay. Now, again, if we had cows right now, um, they'd be beef cows. And no, you don't milk a beef cow. There you go. That's my... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... like, you, you live far from the farm if you think people are milking their beef cows. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a conversation we don't even want to go. Yeah, that's I know. And then Anne-Marie wanted to know if I ever have any extra eggs. Like, do you ever get too many eggs? Well, right now I only have six mature chickens and like 13 or 14 babies. So um, right now, no, we don't have too many eggs. Um, But when we ever have what seems like too many eggs, we do have six kids, four of whom are married. And so... There are always people willing to drop by and pick up eggs. So it's never exactly. it's never too many. I don't know. It's never go. too many. It's never too I mean, many. You know, there there is a reality TV show opportunity here. <laughs> if any, <laughs> Not that I want that. OK, let's uh, let's talk about what's on the big screen. A couple of things have uh, a lot of people's attention. Jurassic World Dominion. Jurassic World Dominion. Yes, this is the big movie this weekend for sure. Uh, If you think that mice are a problem, imagine having dinosaurs wandering around on your farm. That would be that would be truly terrible. Um, And that's sort of the situation that we end up with in, in at the very beginning of this movie. In the last movie, Fallen Kingdom, dinosaurs escaped from their island retreat. Right. And so they scattered all over the world. And so people are dealing with these dinosaurs and as you know, dinosaurs occasionally wreck things and eat people. Uh, if there's one thing the Jurassic movies have taught us, it is this. So so the, the world governments have commissioned one company to round up all these dinosaurs and put them on a little reserve right by their, their, their big old compound, right? Uh, and it's, it, the company's name is Biosyn. Now, here's the thing. The head of Biosyn was actually the very same guy, if you remember way back in the original Jurassic Park movie, he was the guy who gave the shaving cream canister to Ned uh, to to smuggle out a bunch of, of embryos. He wanted to steal the technology in the very first place. So you know this company is up to no good. Uh, Ian, who is played by Jeff Goldblum, he works for Biosyn. He knows that there's some weird things going on with the company, so he invites some old friends to help. Uh, meanwhile, Claire and Owen, who have been sort of this, the the main characters in the Jurassic World series, uh, they are trying to protect their daughter. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work because her their daughter is quickly kidnapped. Um, so their stories sort of combine from there. Um, this movie 
is pretty much exactly what you would expect. Um, it has a lot of dinosaurs chasing, sometimes eating people, sometimes eating them on camera. Uh, so you do have that issue as families. You're going to have to wade through some of that violence. The language is also sort of ratcheted up from what we've seen in previous uh, previous Jurassic movies. Um, there's a little bit more swearing that you're going to have to navigate. It's it's and frankly, it's not that great of a movie. Uh, so for, for families that are interested in this, if they're really tied into, if they just love the idea of, of dinosaurs chasing and eating people, then this movie probably has what they're looking for. But but for those who are looking for, for something a little bit deeper, a little bit more resonant, this, this might not be the movie for them. Okay. Um, people are really uh, tuned into the fact that my yard is mostly clover this year. <laughs> And so the text line is blowing up with all the benefits of a clover lawn. Apparently, this is a thing, and I didn't even know it. I I have arrived, Paul. I have arrived at, um, at, at I have I have happened upon something I didn't even know was a thing. Um, yeah, lots of advantages of having a clover lawn. There you go. Not not to mention that, like, right? It brings in the bunnies. <clears throat> which, oh yeah. Well, which, I don't know. I know if but Millie, are desirable. The, I know Millie the Molinator. She does not allow the bunnies to flourish, so <clears throat> that's not really an issue. All right, well, so brief us in on Ms. Marvel. I'm a little fascinated by this one, and you have a review posted at PluggedIn.com on the Ms. Marvel um, program. Yes, we do. Uh, Ms. Marvel is the latest series on Disney+. Plus. It's the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe series. We've seen quite a few of those in the past. Ms. Marvel is a little bit different in that it gives us the main character uh, is the very first Muslim superhero within the within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, she's also a normal, average, everyday American teen just trying to figure out what, what school is about, dealing with boys, dealing with her restrictive parents. So she's dealing with a lot of issues that I think a lot of teens deal with. Um, it, it is a fun, clever show. And, and while I think that some Christian families might be leery of of the Islamic content, and it, certainly it's something to talk through with your, your kids to, to think about before you decide to watch, in some ways— it makes her a little more relatable to, I think, evangelical conservative Christian families, because a lot of the conversations that she has with her parents are conversations that I remember having with my parents when they, you know, wanted me to to be good. And, and when I wasn't so eager to go to church, they made me, you know, so you have you have these these issues. There's points of, of connection, actually, between between Christian families and, and Kabbalah Khan's uh, Muslim families. That, that I found kind of surprising. Now, I personally would love to see someday uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe welcome in a couple more Christian superheroes as well. You know, the, the, the U.S. population is, I think last check was uh, there, there was 1% Muslim population in the United States. Uh, 63% of us call ourselves Christian. And, and I think that just from, just from a marketing perspective, I think Marvel might be missing a huge audience that would be definitely tapped into, into seeing someone who looks a little more like them. All right. Um, yes. Thank you for the ongoing text messages. Clover is better than Creeping Charlie. Um, thank you for that. Uh, and yes, um, for those of you 
who continue to note all the advantages of a clover lawn over grass. See, one never knows what's going to spike the interest of the community <laughs> of listeners. Paul, Forget Acey, and I are going to... I know. <laughs> well, we're going to continue clover. our... It's, it is apparently all about Clover this morning. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. There's a whole lot going on out there um, in the uh, in the world of media. Matt Walsh has a documentary entitled What is a Woman? Let's just settle on that question for a moment and ask ourselves, what is a woman? And if you were publicly asked that question, how would you answer? What is a woman? Up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, returning to our conversation with Paul AC from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Paul, I uh, I sent you this um, information about Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? So wondering if you could just brief us in on what's happening. I, I do think it's an interesting and provocative question for um, for Christians to be prepared not only to answer, but to ask. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. It's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating little firestorm, really. Uh, Matt Walsh is a, is, he is part of the LGBT community. He, he's also conservative commentator. He made this documentary just sort of exploring, uh, what it means to be a woman, uh, in today's society and how that's sort of defined. Um, and it, it really comes down to the fact that, that a lot of people are unwilling to define it at all. Um, in today's society, you know, it's it's not really about uh, the genetics or the plumbing or anything like that. It really becomes sort of a, a, a mode of self-identification. So he sort of tackles that a little bit in this documentary um, and explores that really uh, surprisingly complex issue. The, the interesting thing about it is that very, very, very few critics are willing to check it out. Uh, apparently, uh, they've been they've been actually pushing it in in critics' direction, and a lot of critics just say no, they won't review it. And sometimes they say no very vehemently. Uh, they they just don't want to have any part of this documentary at all, which I think again is another very very interesting reflection on on society today. All right, a little confusion. Um there about uh, when you referred to Matt Walsh as a part of the LGBTQ community. He is a best-selling LGBT children's author. But okay. isn't it isn't it from a a worldview that we would recognize as aligned with our understanding? Yeah, my apologies. My apologies. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So he's not LGBT. He wrote an LGBT book so that um, we could uh, better understand sort of what's going on in terms of children's literature and education. So he's an interesting, he is an interesting cultural commentator. And, um, and I thought that this, um, this question, what is a woman, which I heard, you know, my Senator or Senator from my state ask in a, um, in a Senate confirmation hearing and a woman uh, who should have been able to answer the question, what is a woman as a woman um, chose not to, uh, you know, saying, well, that, you know, I'm not a biologist, so I can't answer that question. It's interesting to suggest, though, that you should be able to answer that question from the standpoint of biology. But in the culture today, that's not even considered um, appropriate. So I think it's a good equipping opportunity for us. Um, first of all, if you didn't hear my conversation with Abigail um, Favali about the genesis of gender, you want to go back and grab that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app and listen to that. 
Genesis uh, is the book you want to turn to to the con- to uh, you know get your footing on the conversation about what is a woman. Um, and and go from there. Work work it out from there. Um, all right. Talk about uh, talk with us. Uh, just give us your perspective on this sort of media production, literally made for TV um, series of events. Started last night. The you know the rollout started last night. This is coverage of the January sixth committee. And uh, you know I, I, this is probably less about content, Paul, and more about the approach that this committee is taking. Um, in terms of a highly produced media event over the course of time in prime time, yeah, it's a it's really fascinating. And and what you what you have here is 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 the the folks who who are who are doing this investigation. They they have really tailored uh, the January sixth hearings to to it's going to be in in all these installments. Um, it is going to be. Very, very highly produced. They want this to be a, a true, um, if you will, entertainment experience. I, that that sounds really strange to say, but they really want to draw people in. Not not with the facts, of course, but they also want to pull people in by how it's produced, how it's structured, how it's it's moving forward to its conclusion. It almost feels like they're they're creating uh, a narrative, a story. They're becoming these these storytellers uh, that want to unpack this story in a way that um, I think most of us who live in this media entertainment soaked society uh, can. <laughs> really latch onto, if you will. Um, it, it doesn't feel as much like a news a news uh, production as it does in some ways a miniseries. You know, it, it almost has sort of one of those 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 true crime type of type of vibes to it. Um, and I think more than more than anything, I think it just speaks to what culture and politics looks like today. Um, we all know that that for decades and decades, um, entertainment has been part of our political sphere, right? We know that that there is power within within the ability to tell stories certain ways. And I think that that with these hearings, we are seeing sort of that entertainment culture seep in into the news cycle in a way that we have never seen it before. Um, it's a fascinating development. I'm not sure how many minds it's going to change, uh, but I do find it very interesting, the approach that these folks are taking. All right. We don't have a lot of time to talk about um, digital children um, or virtual babies, but that is sort of on the AR VR horizon. Um, And because it's uh, it's a little further out um, than maybe reality right now, let me just direct people to read about it at pluggedin.com. Get ready for virtual (laughs) babies. Uh, Paul, I did want to alert you to a news story that you may have missed. There were some people who were thankfully rescued, but they fell into a tank of chocolate in Pennsylvania. And I thought it would be an opportunity for you to re-up a conversation about Willy Wonka. <laughs> no doubt. You know, we I'm, all know that, that chocolate is dangerous, even, even if it's outside your body. It can be very perilous. 
Yeah, so there you go. People have been rescued after falling into a tank of chocolate at the Mars M&M factory in Pennsylvania on Thursday. Um, and that will be Paul Acey's homework for the next week to to make the Willy Wonka connection for all of us at PluggedIn.com. <laughs> all right. We'll, pre- pre- we'll prep that for next week for sure. All right. We love talking with you. That's Paul Acey from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Check it all out at PluggedIn.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Dream of romance or the scene where the villain is mean. That's entertainment. Cold pizza for breakfast, warm coke to wash it down. Maybe a couple of anchovies. All right, we talk a lot about what in the world is going on in the world. I thought we'd spend a few minutes talking about what in the world is going on out of this world. NASA is preparing to research UFOs and that big telescope that we sent out there to, like, look and see what we could see. Yeah, well, apparently it got smacked um, and was damaged following impact by what they suspect was a, quote, micrometeor. But truth be told, they don't really know because they don't really know what's out there. Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So that music um, means that Paul Perot uh, has uh, is serving up leftovers. He considers this leftovers. Paul, I don't consider this leftovers. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I was well, going to talk, I, I, talk I, about. Yes, I know, but a lot of the stuff is just kind of you have sitting in your <laughs> oh, pocket, so, so kind to of speak. Like a smorgasbord. Well, okay, there yeah, you go. I, I got to find a. Sh- I know a song. Mm, I'll be back with that later. <laughs> Come back with that later. So this is like a buffet of little tasty tidbits and treats here on um, on Friday morning. Um, things that I didn't get to talk about, right, with somebody else, but I found super interesting and thought, well, I want to talk with, with you about these things. So here we go. NASA. NASA is preparing to research UFOs. NASA is putting together a team to study unidentified aerial phenomenon, properly known as UFOs. Um, so that announcement came yesterday. The team is going to gather data on, quote, events in the sky that cannot be identified as aircraft or known natural phenomena from a scientific perspective. And so, you, you know, you know me, you know me. I think that it is fascinating to have the conversation about, well, the fact that we're not alone. And as a Christian, I can say that we're not alone. Like, <laughs> I know there's lots of uh, of spiritual beings. I mean, I, I first of all, let's just start with the reality of God. But I don't think God is going to show up um, on some sort of uh, scientific uh, spectrometer of any any kind. But there are certainly other beings that have been manifested in physical reality and seen by people over the course of human history, accounted for in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. Um, and so, you know. It's kind of fun, don't you think? It's kind of fun. All right, so um, we, uh, in our desire as human beings to find out if we're not alone in terms of like other quote-unquote intelligent life across the universe, we send these telescopes out into deep space because we want to seek to see and see whatever we might see so 
we've got this thing out there um, looking, trying to look 50 light years into space. That's a long way. Um, And that device, that uh, telescope, got smacked yesterday um, following impact by what they suspect was a, quote, micro meteor. And it and it shattered this huge mirror on the Webb telescope. Well, you know, a person has to ask. We don't really know what hit what hit the mirror, what shattered the mirror. Maybe whoever it is that we were trying to see using the mirror didn't like that we were trying to see. I mean, you know, Okay, so here we go. Um, What drives our desire to know that which we do not yet know? What drives our desire to see and explore what's out there or who's out there? Like, what, what compels us? Here's what we do know. We are not alone. God is real. And his creation is really big. This literally isn't all there is. So what else do we know? Well, we know that everything that is, is because God has created it. Everything is within the scope of God's created order and under his sovereign rule. There is nothing that is that is outside of um, God's authority. What else do we know? We know human beings here on earth are unique image bearers of the living God. This we know. For the Bible tells us so. This we know. We are created in the very image of the living God as human beings. That is extraordinary. That does not rule out the possibility that God's good creation is expressed elsewhere among others. And we don't know what we don't know. But we do know that one day we will know what we don't know. Think about that for a moment. Right now, we don't know what we don't know. But one day, one day, we will know what we now do not know. We are already fully known, and one day we will know fully as well. Now we see as in a mirror, dimly. But then we shall see face to face. Does it excite you or scare you to consider that there are things that NASA cannot explain? Does it excite excite you or scare you that NASA has an interest in knowing that which we currently do not know about unidentified aerial phenomena or UFOs? Does it excite you or scare you? Because many of the conversations that are had in terms of public policy are about security and safety, as if we're certain that if there is some someone else out there, something else out there, that it is a threat. Um, Why is that? Why do we assume why would we assume that it would be a threat? Because we know we would be. We know that as fallen humanity, if we ever showed up in a world less fallen than ours, we would be a threat to it. So consider that for a moment. I think there is this knowledge, this innate knowledge among 
human beings that we are sinful, that we are broken, that we are fallen. But the fact of that matter here on earth among human beings does not necessarily preclude the possibility of an unfallen race somewhere in the universe. This we know. One day we will know. And we will see him face to face. That is an extraordinary reality. I want to encourage you to be um, looking heavenward over the weekend. Let us um, each and all spend some time considering the things that are far off, considering the stars of the sky. When you consider that God placed everyone, knows the timeline on every star out there, knows what's going on in the full expanse of all that is, your awe will grow. I think we could all use a little awe time. Looking at the stars, considering the reality of the expanse and the magnitude and the glory, the bigness of our God. I guess I could lay in my um, clover lawn and consider um, the bigness and the greatness and the goodness of God. Sometimes we have to, I think, turn away from and find some space apart from the what seems to be the overwhelming pressing headlines of the day. And we have to remember who we are and whose we are and how great he is. And find our peace in him. There is a peace which passes all understanding. And the times in which we live are times that are passing away in, in a breath. In a breath. And so, yes, we live in serious days. These are serious times, and we take them very seriously. But let us also remember that we are but a breath, but a fading flower, but a little piece of clover. And that our life here is very, very short. But our life eternal is forever. And I want to spend it face to face with the living God. Knowing fully the one in whom right now I am already fully known. We don't know what we don't know right now, but one day we will know fully, even as we are already fully known. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. When we come back, we're going to visit on a story out of Texas. Um, Some four decades ago, a young couple who had an infant daughter, um, the, the young couple was murdered. The child has been feared dead all these years. She's now been found. That story up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A fair is a veritable smorgasbord, orgasbord, orgasbord, after the crowds have seen. Sometimes you read a story and then several months later, um, another piece of that story comes forth. And so I, I remember reading a number of months ago about baby Holly. And I recalled that they were beginning um, to use, you know, what's available in terms of 
DNA mapping, um, you know, through a variety of sources. And they were they were going to see if they could they could find baby Holly. And I just confessed that at the time I was like, I just don't have any idea what they're even talking about. Um, And so I read in on this family and um, this family uh, lived in uh, in the Houston area. Um, And. These two individuals were found dead in uh, 1981. The details um, are fairly gruesome. Um, But what was known was that they had an infant daughter and she was not found. So since October of 1980, um, baby Holly has been missing. Um, she had been dropped off at an Arizona church by two women who um, identified themselves as belonging to some nomadic religious group. Um, and then that's literally like all that was known because nobody connected that child with the couple who had been murdered and whose bodies had been found in the Houston area. Like that connection was not made. And so um, that's all that's been known all this time. Attempts were made to track her down, but um, it the, the connection was never made. And so once the bodies were identified, um, which, you know, is two years on at that point, um, the, the family began searching for the baby. That search has really never ended. And um, Holly is 42 years old. And we now know um, she's alive and well and living in Houston. There's been there been some reunions. Um, Donna. um, Casa Santa, I might be mispronouncing that, is her grandmother. And she said that finding my granddaughter has been uh, a gift from heaven. A gift from heaven. She says, I prayed for more than 40 years for answers. And the, and the Lord has now revealed some of it. What a grace. What a grace. She went on to say, such a blessing to be reassured that my granddaughter is all right and that she has had a good life. I slept well for the first time in more than 40 years. I want you to consider... Um, how long this woman has grieved and wondered and longed. You should think about Donna's grief in discovering that um, her daughter and son-in-law had been murdered. And then the grief of realizing that their infant daughter was unaccounted for, has been unaccounted for. For more than four decades. She talks about going from hope to recognizing that it would take a miracle. She talks about her gratitude expressed for um, detectives who never gave up. Fortitude. Perseverance. 
Um, she talks about um, her daughter and believing that now she's finally resting in peace. And so I want to highlight a few things um, in here that I think are important. First of all, people place their hope and their faith and their trust in God when they run out of answers here on earth. And when the word hope is used, when the word prayer and blessing and miracle, when those words are used, we ought to lay claim to them. When a person refers to having prayed about something for more than 40 years, for answers, and they talk about the revelation of the Lord in relationship to what they now know, we, we ought to highlight that. We ought to point to that. In, in a time and in a day when so many people are without faith, we need to remember and recognize there are a lot of people operating with a lot of faith who are facing a lot of unanswered questions, but they continue to put those questions before the Lord, trusting and hoping that he will yet deliver a miracle. She talks about the restoration of her hope some eight months ago. It was eight months ago, she says, that I started hoping again. And now we've met. How miraculous is that? That's the language here in the article related to this story. So um, this woman, this young woman, Holly, she was never unaccounted for in terms of God. God always knew right where she was. God always knew um, what she needed. God always knew that for her, her family of origin, her biological family was a total 100% mystery, completely unknown. So she now knows something as well that she didn't know. And she also knows that her grandmother never stopped looking for her, never stopped searching for her for four decades. Um, The investigators talk about hoping that this is a source of encouragement for other families who have been missing loved ones for a long period of time. And then there is a walk-off note um, that has to come from a Christian because it uses, um, you know, it uses language that suggests a knowledge of the goodness and the grace of a God who knows and accounts for everyone, a God who sees. So God knows, God sees, God um, hasn't lost, he hasn't, no one's lost to him. There are those who choose to live as lost to God But God yet knows there's nowhere we can flee from his presence. And there's also nowhere that we could be taken away from him. So I want to celebrate the goodness of the gift of life. I want to celebrate the life of this individual. I want to celebrate the restoration of this family. And I also want to pray for those today who do have children or grandchildren who are missing And just lift up the knowledge of the goodness and the grace of a God who knows right where they are. Um, And it, and, and just to encourage us to never lose hope, never lose hope. You're listening to mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge and this is faith radio.
Hey, let's be praying for each other today and this weekend and in the coming days. Several folks texting in um, about still holding out hope for a daughter and a granddaughter, a son and um, a nephew, people holding out hope for brothers and sisters, people holding out hope for friends who are living apart from the Lord. Let's be praying today for each other. Let's be recognizing the um, shortness of the days in which we live and the longness of eternity. I know that's not a word, um, but, you know, <clears throat> you get the point, right? The length of eternity, the brevity of these days and the length of eternity. That's so much better said. Pray for me and mine. I'm going to be praying for you and yours. And let's be praying for the others as well. You know, God wants them all. There are times that, I don't know about you, there are times that I look around and I say, how could God want all of these? How, I mean, <laughs> really? Really? We're such a mess. God wants them all, each and every one, precious in his sight, regardless of the color of their skin, the circumstances of their birth, the um, the place in which they live, the politics that they're enduring. Um, God wants them all. And so may our hearts be tenderized to want them all as well. Hey, I'm going to take a week of vacation. Peter Kapsner is going to be here with you next week um, for Mornings Without Carmen. Um, keep texting him during the week. Like, right, come up with some hard questions for Peter. Like, I think he would appreciate the, the, the challenge. So the text line is going to be open during the show. Always is. 877-933-2484. Um, thank you, as always, for the blessing and the gift it is of shared time together shared time together let's be spending time today with the lord thank you for the time that you have offered in your company with me today it's a it's an absolute privilege thank you for it have a great day and a great weekend and god bless Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.